SVG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. I'm Charles and with me today are Ian, Alexander, and a local guest, Max. Max is one of our local regular hobbyists and uh, he'll be taking over for Richard as Richard is unable to make this episode. Our topic for this episode is Prince Emerhill of Dolanroth and we'll be each sharing an army list you can find all of our army lists on the Facebook page. If you aren't following our Facebook page already, just search Into the West Podcast. For our open topic today, we will be discussing banners and banner effects. So just to give the audience a brief introduction, Max, tell us about how you got into this hobby, because I remember you being around since about the start of the new edition. Yeah, so I actually have an interesting tale of how I joined the hobby. I was backpacking in Europe a couple of years ago, and I had models in my closet at the time that I, I couldn't find any opponents like five years ago. And I came across this festival in Germany called Tolkentag, and this great member of the community over there, and his name is Dirk, and he actually hosted me at his house for a couple of days. He's got this massive collection, thousands of models, conversions, and everything, and uh, he really got me back into the hobby. So the first thing I did when I got back was I painted up Swan Knights, and another guy in the community, uh, Robert, uh, was running a tournament at my local game store. And I met all you guys, and you guys added me to the chat. And now the new edition came out, and it's been really, really great. Cool. So you mentioned Swan Knights. Coincidentally, today's featured profile is Prince Emerhill. And I think locally, people know that uh, you're, uh, you're a big fan of the fiefdoms. So why don't you tell us what is it about the fiefdoms that you love so much? Besides uh, they... pikes and heavy calf. <laughs> What what more is there? Um, from reading uh, Return of the King, uh, one of the things I'm always the most sad about that the movie's left out is Imrahil, because he charges out on the plains of the Paladorn multiple times, like just absolutely destroying all that come before him, and it's just so such like an epic moment. And yeah, fiefdoms were my first army, and they were left in a state of a really really amateur paint job. And recently, I've repainted them all and everything else, and brought them up to kind of snuff, and they continuing to be my favorite army in this game. Okay. What army are you currently working on? I finished my uh, massive, massive Gundabad force for uh, a battle of five armies we just did. And right now I am probably eyeing up to do some of the Nazgul for the uh, new uh, Legendary Legion from Quest of the Ringbearer, the Nine. Oh, cool. Yeah, that army should be really fun to play in. I love the Black Rider models as well. Okay, good to have Max join us for this Prince Emerald episode. Uh, let's... Let's move on to our first segment, which is Prince Emerhill of Dolanroth. So I'm just going to go over the profile. As steward, you are charged with the defense of this city. Where are Gondor's armies? You still have friends. You are not alone in this fight. So Prince Emerhild, he's 140 points base, but he's a man, Gondor Infantry, Hero of Legend, move 6, fight 6, strength 4, defense 7, 3 attacks, 3 wounds, courage 6, 3 might, 3 will, 3 fate. He comes with heavy armor, sword, and shield. His heroic actions are heroic resolve, heroic strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Defense. He can take an Armored Horse for 15 points and a Lance for 5 points. He has two special rules, Lineage of Numenor. He has a 12-inch Standfast. And the second one is Dol Amroth for Gondor. 
uh, which allows captains of Dol Amroth, knights of Dol Amroth, and men-at-arms of Dol Amroth within 12 inches of Prince Immerhill count Immerhill as a banner. Right off the bat, I think he kind of has what I would call like a dream profile for a leader. He just has threes in all the right places. He's not terribly expensive, and being a hero legend, he can lead 18. Yeah, first of all, like I personally can't see anybody running fiefdoms without Immer Hill, like especially if it's a pure fiefdoms army. That banner is so, so important because it ties right in with the army rule because it's got an asterisk. So any model from the fiefdoms army is going to benefit from that banner, which is huge. That's all your heroes and all the rest of the infantry that come with this list. Uh, and he is such a core of the army. I really don't know how to take this list without him. I'm just going to touch on the heroic actions quickly because those are pretty much the ones that we love to see. You know, The strike and defense are great. Strength, useful, resolve, probably not that useful like in the list because you're going to want to be fighting. But I find the biggest thing is when I've run it before is I don't often end up using a lot of the actions besides strike because I usually just end up using his might for hurl combats because he's so good at just munching through troops or hitting like doing a lot of damage where you need it because the lance and not like the high number of attacks. So it's nice to have all those heroic actions. <laughs> I don't know if you're ever going to use them, but the defense is good if he gets into trouble, I guess, with like charging in with the lance and stuff. Yeah, I think overall you guys have pretty much touched on it. He's one of those characters. He almost gives me uh, vibes of Thranduil from back in our first episode. He really is the centerpiece of the whole army. His special rule, obviously, Dol Amroth for Gondor is phenomenal. Having such a large banner range included in his profile, 12-inch banner, that pure hitting power, three attacks mounted with a lance, strong defensively. He's pretty much the quintessential uh, good combat hero. Of course, I think when you're playing a pure fiefdoms list or a historical alliance, he's absolutely necessary. Perhaps if you're playing a convenient alliance or something where it loses its army bonus, you might be able to go without him. I agree with that whole thing. And then even like what I've done sometimes is uh, I've taken him in green alliances and Dol Amroth has these lovely pikemen that uh, some other good armies lack. And so throw a wall of Minas Tirith up in front with their D7 and I've got in the shield wall and I've got pikes behind him still getting the rerolls. So I think he's pretty strong. Yeah, but if you're taking a yellow alliance, uh, let me be I at four long is the cheaper alternative. Also, just kind of in general, I just realized I forgot he had a 12-inch standfast. That's awesome. I mean, it's kind of like the hidden gem of the fiefdoms, honestly. Like, they don't really have to worry about courage all that much, because if you have this 12-inch standfast, and then if you have Forlong, he's got a warhorn, and then if you have Angbor, he has this little 6-inch bubble of where he makes everybody fearless. So, yeah, that's actually really interesting. This army is like really doesn't care about courage shenanigans at all once you get those heroes in there. That's awesome. And Immerhill is Hero of Legends, so he passes that first Courage check every time. Also, oh, that's actually that's a good point. Also, all of the heroes have the Gondor keyword, which means, and I've done this before, cheeky shenanigans, if you want to like make your leader a little bit more safe, you can run Huron in a green alliance from the Ministerial list, and his lineage special rule will apply to any of the heroes in this list, because they have the Gondor keyword. I never looked at it that way. Wow, that's actually uh, really interesting. That would be cool. We'll go into it a little more in our army lists regarding that synergy later on. I think there's one more thing that hasn't been mentioned is that the knights and uh, men-at-arms, they have a rule where they have a conditional increase of plus one fight. And it's not listed on Prince Emeril's profile, so it might be a little bit overlooked, but essentially gives you um, some fight five in your army. 
It's a small bubble, but I don't think it's incorporated in the Warriors profiles cost. It's like a nice little bonus on top of that for Emerhill to bring some fight five in your army. Yeah, so moving on to uh, profile ratings, I don't think I would hesitate giving this profile a 10 out of 10. I don't think he's unstoppable or anything, but just for the very reasonable points cost and the fact that you always run fiefdoms with Emerhill, like Max said, I don't see a proper fiefdoms army not have Emerhill. He brings good heroic actions and good courage bonus and just the fight five on top of that. And he just has a really solid stat line. So to me, he's a he's really essential to this army. So 10 out of 10. I think he's 10 out of 10 as well. Just everything that he brings. We can beat it to death, but it's just such a core of the army to build around. was going to say 9 out of 10, but then I kind of heard what you guys are saying. And honestly, with like just how balanced the profile is, like it's, it's really good at combat. It also brings nice support rules and stuff with it for a very reasonable price. So if this isn't a 10, like I don't know what would be. So yeah, I'd say it's a 10 out of 10 in like a pure list or a green alliance. If you're going to go like yellow alliance, I'd say it's probably an 8. Just because then the special banner rule doesn't apply to all of the troops in the list anymore. And I think more importantly, it doesn't apply to Amrahill himself anymore, which can be a bit of an issue. Yeah, still really good though. Yeah, I agree it would be a little bit lower if you broke the army bonus. Because fiefdoms, their troops are cheap enough where you can spam them. And uh, with the army bonus, you're just re-rolling on so many models, you know. It's kind of similar to Bard's 12-inch banner in Survivor's Lake Town, except these are Fight 4 and Fight 5 that you're re-rolling. I think just the context that you put him in the list, I think in a pure fiefdoms list, especially at high points, even at low points, just across the board, really, fiefdoms in general, he's as close to a 10 out of 10 as a profile really gets. I think if you break him down to a convenient alliance or something where his special rules don't really apply or the banner doesn't affect everything, then perhaps he's more of an eight, eight and a half. Could still be a nine, though. He's such a beautiful profile. I just I don't see a situation where he's really something that I wouldn't choose. Let's move on to some army lists. So let's start with Alex. Alex today is bringing a 500 point fiefdoms list with Prince Emerald. Please go through your list and let us know your general strategy. So uh, essentially, I've never written a fiefdoms list before. Actually, I, I think even though I don't think it's a particularly difficult list to write, I think just knowing how to use the different troops makes it harder. So, of course, I have Prince Emerhill of Dol Amroth with Armored Horse and a Lance. Can't see a situation where you don't give him both of those things. I've got three Clansmen of Lamadon, two Axemen of Lusternock, five Men-at-Arms of Dol Amroth. Three Blackroot Vale Archers with Spears, one Knight of Dol Amroth, Armored Horse and a Lance. Then I have a Captain of Dol Amroth, Armored Horse and a Lance, three Clansmen of Lamadon, one Axeman, four Men-at-Arms, two Blackroot Vale Archers with Spear, and one without Spear, and one Knight of Dol Amroth, Armored Horse and a Lance. 500 points, 28 models, 5 might. Generally, I think the idea is. Pretty decent mobility. I have the captain in there for a march if I need to. Obviously, Emerhill does the bulk of the hitting, but also having that special rule allowing me to put the axemen and the uh, swordsmen up in the front there and the men-at-arms in the back for fight five pike support. And then archers, obviously, they're pretty solid profile, so I've got those. 
Knight of Dol Amroth to support Immerhill to get around flanks, get a good counter charge. Having the Lance, I think they're just slightly more expensive Morgul Knights. Captain's still solid. I like him, especially if he ends up close to Immerhill at some point, because then he becomes fight six. Being able to use the broadswords, the axes, or using them as spears, just the general versatility. I think it's a solid list, enough to compete in most situations. Not phenomenal at any one thing, but then again, at 500 points, I wouldn't expect lots of big heroes, or it's just kind of an all-round list that can do a lot of things well, and that's where I'd leave it. So, I actually really like the captain pick in this situation. And I know I've said that before on another one of your 500-point lists previously. I don't remember which one, but I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. The Gondor one. Was the Gondor one? Okay. Yeah, it was was the the Gondor Gondor one with Faramir. It was, it was. That was 600, but yeah, close enough. Anyway, yeah, because, like, the the thing with fiefdoms is I find myself, whenever I'm running lists, is, like, I always look at all the named heroes after Imrahil, and it's like, oh, I want him, because that's really cool. Oh, I want Angwar because I want the extra strike and I want the Fearless Bubble. Oh, I want Junior to go with the Archers because he buffs the Archers. And then you finally end up, you're like, oh, wait, I need the Captain because I want to get the March in there. And I think the Captains are probably a little bit underrated just because they're the only other thing in the list that can hit Fight 6 naturally without striking up. And that is a lot of hitting power, too. Like on the horse with the Lance, potential Fight 6. Like, I wouldn't sell him short. He can definitely go into anything you're going to face at 500 and give it a run for the money, especially if it's close to Hill, right? So, I like it. It's low on defense. That's probably the only weakness. But 28 models is still pretty good at 500. You'll be okay. As Alex was saying, his listen, he said Captain instead of another named hero. I started thinking, it's like, well, how much is a Captain versus Fatty? And then Fatty's five points more with a horse. And I was going back and forth, but I think just that addition of the march and then the possible fight six. Because there are situations of people that you don't want to throw Imrahil into that fight six will be enough to take them, but you might not want Imre Hill into that. I bring uh, a Mumak, for example, that I've experienced. I needed something to fight six to throw in there and didn't have a Dolamroth captain handy. It's pretty solid. You know, he's got a little bit of shooting. You got, what, six bows in there for honesty bows? It's not max bows, but I'll forgive you. You got a couple of cavalry in there for extra movement. You've got the march. You've got, what, six clansmen in there, and they're, they're courage five, so if you need to charge something that's terror-causing, they can do it, and then you can throw the pikes behind them. I, Yeah, it's a really, really solid list. I'd give it a yeah, a good, solid Valor, yeah. Uh, I would give it a Valor as well. Make a fiefdoms list. You're stuck with that 160, essentially, points tax to start. There's no reason not to give Imrahilla horse and lance that is bread and butter to him. I do like the real mix of infantry in there. Uh, I've had my first experience with clansmen lately. And they can be your killing power, so it is good to have that. And then also just uh, Spears and the Black Reveals. It makes them not useless when it comes to the combat phase, which is nice. Okay, so I think I like this list a little bit less than the other guys. Yeah, the conditional fight six is nice on the captain, but you're not taking full advantage of your army bonus. Personally, I think I would rather take Forlong or Angbor as my second pick in almost any points level. Angbor would bring banner rerolls for all your clansmen and then a six-inch fearless bubble. Forlong would bring three might instead of your captain's two. I know Alex values Heroic March a lot, but I think that what Angbor and Forlong bring is a pretty big trade-off. Angbor also has a Heroic Strike, which if you want a second striker, it's always a good way to get it. This one, I'd probably say it's a Hero Fortitude for me. I can see it winning games, but winning the tournament might be a little bit tough. The critique's fair, obviously. It, it really came down like literally 15 minutes before we start recording, and I'm, I'm still staring at the list and kind of flipping back and forth between do I want the captain 
I swap out the captain. I put in four along on his horse and start moving some of the troops around a little bit to make up the five-point difference. You know, I think about Angbor not being able to mount him. You, you guys know how much I like being able to give my troops mobility, the charge bonuses if I can. So that kind of makes me question the fearlessness of Angbor but obviously then being able to strike. So really, it, it, I think they're all just a very, very close race between them for that second spot. I just kind of want to tag off what Charles was saying about like the hero selection. And there is kind of like a tier system, I guess, with this list, like which heroes you're going to go through after you get Imrahil. And it kind of comes down to personal preference, but I think, well, at least Charles and I agree on this. Usually at higher points, the second hero you want to grab is Angbor, I think, for the strike. But considering this is 500 points, I don't think it's as necessary because you already have Emrahil with Strike in the list. So I I still like the captain pick because the other thing is that at higher points, you can also squeeze in more cavalry. So getting that march in there for the extra mobility isn't as important. So considering the lower points, yeah, no, I still think the captain's a decent pick at this level. But yeah, I'd agree. Once you get to higher levels, you'll probably swap them out for something else just to make the better use of the army bonus. So the next army list we'll be talking about will be an 800 points list by Max. And this one is also a peer list. Just going off of what Ian just said, this one it will be at a higher points value. So yeah, Max, give us a rundown of your list and your general strategy. Yeah, so uh, this is actually a list I got a chance to play. We had a very small tournament recently, and it went a 1-1 game. Very, very narrowly draw a game, as in my opponent clawed it back, and then I lost ever so barely to some Lumax. It starts off Warband 1, Immerhill, Horse Lance, 4 Mounted Knights, 4 Clansmen, 6 Pikemen of Dol Amroth, and then 4 Blackroot Vale Archers. Two of them have Spear. The Swan Knight on foot in there as well. Second warband is for Long the Fat, mounted. He also has three mounted knights in his warband. He has six pikemen of Dolemroth, three clansmen, and three axemen of Velocinarch. And then the uh, last warband is Dune here, with 12 Blackroot Vale archers, and nine of them with spear, and then three clansmen. And so the strategy with this list is that is the maximum amount of models you can bring. So that is, Emery Hills has a full warband for Long, and Dune here does. So First off, I'm really trying to make kind of take maximum advantage of the fact that most of them are going to be fighting under the reach of a banner. This was also the first time I ran Forlong the Fat Mounted. And when you want Immerhill like near your main battle line, giving everyone the banner, he's not a bad option to spearhead the cavalry himself. Because in this, li- this list, you could be leading seven knights at any given time. The Dune here archery trick is one of my favorite ones. It's so Dune here benefits from uh, giving all of his archers rerolls on ones when they're stationary and firing. And then I usually use them to call the heroic shoot, which gives them all the reroll to wound. And I've done some pretty deadly things with 12 of these archers. This list has 16, and I have shot down a great deal with them. So that's usually nice for pick, especially picking off targets, picking off the odd hero. I actually shot down Goroth once, which was awesome. I killed every single orc around him and then fired on Goroth and killed him. But uh, yeah, main strategies get a lot of models in there. All these models just work really well together. That's the list. You've got the quintessential first two heroes. You've got Amarhol, of course. Four along the fat mounted. He does have a war spear, so it counts as having a lance when he's mounted and a spear when he's on foot. He's solid. Tough to bring down, strength five, which it was only really a handful of men in the game with uh, strength five. And you've got a real solid mixture of the pikes. 
uh, when they're close to Immerhill, you get to give them uh, fight five, so you're essentially getting uh, almost like Elven support and back rank. And then you've got a good amount of hitting power in the front. Notice that you don't have any of the Axemen. I'm looking forward to hearing your reasoning behind only having the three axes. I've seen what Dune here and 12 archers can do. I played you in a game once in uh, Clash by Moonlight, and it did not go well for me in the slightest. Of course, you do get a modifier in that scenario, but they can be pretty formidable with the special rules they get. I wouldn't really want to max them out. I don't think they're that great. I think you probably could have dropped it down to about 12 total. But, you know, that's just me not Ooh, wanting to load up too much. Home. The only real thing... So you've got seven knights. It's a lot of points in seven one-wound single troops. And while they are powerful and they're a very good unit, it's very strong when you get the charge off. Sometimes if you get counter-charge, turn doesn't go your way. In those situations, you could end up losing a lot of models and a lot of points. It's one of those high-risk, high-reward situations that scares me a little bit. I think there's too many knights in there. But all in all, a pretty solid list. Got to give it somewhere between a high valor and a, a low fortitude. Wait, you said high valor and low fortitude. You mean high fortitude or low valor? <laughs> high fortitude to low valor. <laughs> I'm going to have to re-record Stick to your guns, Alex. No, stick to your guns, man. So, I like the hero choices. Personally, I like Angbor a little more, but Forlong is a close third pick for me. So, yeah, either of those two. Yeah, kind of agree with Alex. The seven knights is a lot. It's not a lot of models for 140 points. And if you get a little bit unlucky and you lose a few move-offs, could lose quite a few of them. The thing about your true composition is I think you have a little too many defense for. I know it's unavoidable with Black Root Veil Archers. But then on top of that, you have seven clansmen and 16 Black Root Veil Archers. That's ten 20, clansmen. <laughs> ten, you have ten clansmen, yeah. So that's 26 models, uh, which is basically your breakpoint, because you have 52 models, right? So half your models are defense four. I think that, like, if you're doing well, like, if you're having your opponent come to you and you have a good early game, yeah, I think that's fine. But if your opponent starts up close and you have to fight right away, then could be a little bit worrisome. So if it was me, I would swap out some, either some archers or some clansmen with more axemen in there. But yeah, I'm just worried about your numbers dropping too quickly because of the overwhelming amount of defense four. I'll probably give this one a hero fortitude as well. I think um, it's got pretty decent hitting power and good shooting, obviously. But just those two weaknesses, the the cavalry and uh, the defense four. So, I don't know, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Like, he, he doesn't have a lot of extra mobility, like he doesn't have the march, but he has, what, nine mounted models? That's a lot, even at, like, 800 points. Like, that's that's a healthy amount. That's almost a quarter of his army, right? So he's got a ton of mobility there. And then, even with the knights, because there's so many of them and their bases are so big, I don't think he's going to end up charging all of them in every turn, right? So I, I imagine you can rank them up a little bit, right? You can do that standard cavalry tactic where you have the first rank goes in they do some damage or whatever and then even if they lose priority next turn and they get charged you have the other knights behind them who then can also charge in and support them right and honestly swan knights aren't the worst when they're countercharged because they still have the fight for the d6 and the banner effect from Emerhill. so they can like survive a turn not charging right so it's not the worst thing as for what you guys said about the defense four it is a little unfortunate but 52 models means it's kind of, it's a little inconsequential, right? Like, 
he should be able to do a lot of damage before combat begins, if not before combat, in the first turn when he gets the charge to make up for that. And then I, can, I think he can swarm them a little bit. So I don't think it's... He's just going to be outweighing the enemy by dice, right? No, I agree with you. The numbers offsets the low defense for sure. But just like against certain matchups, like like if he was if he was facing like a strength four army that is also really spammable, like a Moranin army, then um, or like a like an Isengard, it it might be a little bit hard for him. I actually think the uh, Isengard Assault Legion or Assault on Helm's Deep would actually be a really bad matchup for this. Because they can match your numbers, and then they'd have the the freaking ballista to outshoot you, and then all the cross. Yeah, that would be a nightmare to face with this list. <laughs> that wouldn't be fun. But like, you do have a good variety of units, right? You have the clan. You don't have Angbor for the Courage Bubble, but you have Courage Five troops that could charge in. Courage Six. Nice Courage. Oh yeah, Courage Six because of Forlong. Yeah, that's that's okay. That's fine. And then the Mounted Knights then would be Courage Five. So that's not a huge issue. Um, I'm struggling here between Fortitude and Valor at, at 800. Just the Might isn't crazy good. Which actually, sidebar, kind of makes sense that you went for four along in this case if you're only going to take the three heroes because you just want the extra Might to keep your Knights charging. So I get that pick, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to go Fortitude, but it's like... So... First of all, the reason I only have three Axemen in there is I only own three Axemen. I think I'd probably go for more. Normally when I go in with this list, I have the pikes actually in front, and then the swordsmen kind of file into the front once we're, once we're closer. And then I'm not as aggressive with the cavalry as I used to be. I used to think that you could just charge them forward uh, and wreck, and if you had Don't the move, you, you keep... Yeah, exactly. If you had the move, you keep going. That's not the case. And so my often strategy is I, I engage with this large block front line, and once the engagement happens, then the cavalry can actually start to move and hopefully hit a more um, either their cavalry or a um, less concentrated target. Your cavalry can definitely out cavalry their cavalry if you uh, catch my drift. Now revisiting what I said earlier, I think I might actually have to tick my grade down a little bit and just say it's a good fortitude. You'll classic uh, Alex. You'll definitely be able to win some games with it. I just think that the risk of the high number of mounted models is too high. You could probably cut it about in half, get Angbor in there, and from there, redivide the warbands so that you get more out of deployment. The thing that's tempting is uh, that all the fiefdom's heroes are Valor, so you're always tempted to fill up all the warbands. And a friend of mine told me, just do it, just go crazy and fill them up, and this was the result. I do like that your list has a lot of redundancy too, because I was looking at it, and you have almost half or exactly half your models have like spears or pikes or something to support with. So that just gives you a lot of versatility too. So I kind of like that. It's, that's interesting. I mean, I think that's probably because you ran out of slots to buy extra troops with, so you bought a lot of spears on the archers, but it's actually kind of handy. It is pretty handy, yeah. And then I kind of had a quick question for you, Max. Like, when you're making your line, do you like to put the clansmen? In the front rank and in the pikes bind, or if you had more axemen, would you put the axemen up front? Because personally, what I like to do, and this was better last edition when you could piercing strike D3 instead of just up one strike, but it's still pretty good now if you're fighting an army that's like uh, an even defense. So I still like putting the axemen in the front for the strength four and two handing, and then sending off the clansmen separately away from Imrahil, but usually that have Angbor with them, so they still get the banner effect. But now, you know, I still think. Yeah, the, the clansmen in the front rank are still pretty good, but I don't know. What do you usually do? I like mix, because 
the nice thing about the axemen is you don't have to shuffle them around. They're already the D5. But the key thing here is that the clansmen keep their six if they roll the six in the fight. You, you need the less redundancy of spears, so that's what I usually tag off a couple of the Blackroot Veils once we're fighting to support the clansmen, because there's the chance that they're going to get the six and keep their six while they're two-handing, whereas the axemen do need both pikes to make sure that we, we score the six there. All right, thanks for sharing your list, Max. Let's move on to the next one, which is Ian's list. It's a convenient alliance fiefdoms list at 800 points. So I know we said earlier, Amr Hill is better in, I think I said this actually, he's better in a peer list or in a great alliance. So what did I immediately vote to do for myself when we were writing lists? I'll do the convenience alliance. Why not? <laughs> um, so I was a little lazy. Like I couldn't really think of the best thing to do. So this is a little bit lazy of a list, but it is like, it is really good. And it kind of highlights something that I, I think is important with the Fiefdoms is because they have so many cheap Valor heroes, they actually do make really good allies to other lists because they can just bring in lots of bulk troops with like some nifty special rules, right? It's not exactly what I ended up doing with this list, but it kind of worked out that way. Anyway, so my first warband is uh, Imrael with the Armored Horse and the Lance. And with him, he has eight men-at-arms, four clansmen, two knights with the Horse and the Lance, and then four Blackroot Bale Archers. My second warband is Angbor. He has three Axemen, three Clansmen of Lamadon, and five Blackroot Bale Archers. My third warband is Legolas from the Mirkwood list with a horse, and then he has four Mirkwood Warriors with shield and three Mirkwood Warriors with bow. And my last warband is Galatriel Lady of Light. <laughs> so that comes to 800 points, 40 models, 21 dead to break, 11 might, and that's 12 bows plus Legolas's, uh one to three shots. So basically the idea with this is because Imrahil's banner doesn't affect everything in the Fiefdoms list anymore because it's not a pure list, it only affects the men-at-arms and the knights, I'm basically going to like make my front line with the stuff that he has in his warband, and then the Mirkwood Warriors will also join him with the pikes supporting them. And then Angbor can take the Klansman with him and probably the Axeman and then go somewhere further away if I need to hold another front because he still provides a banner effect to the Klansman. So that way I can kind of separate my two parts of the list and still have a banner kind of everywhere. Legolas is just like the two plus to auto hit. It's just so handy for taking out key targets. So I think it's, it's actually pretty good support for Imrahil. The same thing goes with Galatriel. Honestly, she's just like, she covers, again, like the big hero weakness of they're susceptible to magic, so she kind of stops that with Fortify Spirit. And she also just boosts the combat line a lot, too, with, you know, another fight six, three attack model. There's decent enough mobility with the list. Like, I have the two mounted heroes and then two knights, but it might be a little slow because I don't have the march and I don't have a ton of cavalry. So that's probably one of its weaknesses. I do really like the model count, though, considering all the heroes that I have. And I think it can shoot pretty well, too, because I have, like, all those bows with the blinding light. So shooting should be able to win the shooting war, of course. It's one of my lists. <laughs> yeah, and and then, yeah, courage shenanigans. I've got elves, and I've got the clansmen in there with the angbor bubble, so they should be okay enough to charge. Oh, yeah, and I guess all my heroes have strike, which is kind of nifty. It's a little bit redundant, so it doesn't really matter where the enemy heroes go. I'll always have something to counter with, which is handy. Lady of Light is good in pretty much uh, most armies. I'm just taking a look. I think it's the same issue with uh, Max's list. Like, you got a lot of D4, but I think it's with Blinding Light, it's not as bad in, in your list here. One thing that I just noticed, though, is 
Did you ever consider taking Mirkwood Cavalry instead of the Dolanroth Cavalry? Just because they're both fight five, except the Mirkwood ones are not conditional. And then they also have the Elven Made Sword. They I, don't have the plus one to wound because you don't have Thranduil on the list, but they're a lot cheaper as well. I did, but it kind of came down to the banner effect that Imrael can give the two knights over such like a wide area too, right? Like, yeah, but, but I four wanna, points. Four points. Yeah, well, it's, it's it only three, be three points. Three points. It'd be three so, points okay. if you give them Mirkwood Knights the shield, they're 17. So it kind of it, it did come down to that, and then also just having the lance is nice for the extra bit of hitting power. I do agree, yeah, like the Mirkwood Knights would be kind of nice. And I think initially I wanted to fit a couple of them in there, maybe as well as the other knights, but it just didn't work out. I mean, I think I could. I could if I dropped like two models, I could probably finagle the points a bit and get some Mirkwood Knights in there. But then the model count comes down, and I really like that. Like, I don't think I'd want to go below 40, considering, like you said, a lot of it is defense 4. Yeah. The four heroic striking heroes is just... It'll be gross and up close. <laughs> I think maybe... Okay, so I just think that the the Mirkwood Warband looks a little bit clunky to me. So I'm just thinking out loud a bit. But maybe if you took advantage of the Mirkwood Alliance and took as many Glaives as possible, I don't know. Because then you could have Elven made support for your battle line. Just an idea. Yeah, um, maybe. I, I was kind of... What my, my thinking was is that I kind of wanted some defense six in the list to give it like a little bit of a core that could be solid and hold things off if I needed to. And the Mercury Warriors with Shield are at 10 points compared to the Knights on foot, which are 11. And I think they are just... They just end up being better overall while still getting the yeah. defense six. And then the three Warriors with Bow in that Warband was just because I'm going to need something to sit back on objectives in those scenarios. And I don't trust Blackroot Veil Archers to do that with Courage 2. But I do trust Mirkwood Archers to do it with Courage 5. So I see Ian, like Ian's point, like I definitely like the, the shields on the Mirkwood and having them as the front rank because you're getting the fight 5. Because he's got all those pikemen that are going to be the banners for those guys. Yeah, I do think the, the Mirkwood is conjuring and is a little clunky though. Like it, it kind of just feels off. There is a reason why this wasn't my initial list. <laughs> but it, uh, it was an initial idea, but yeah, I just ended up using it. That, that's a Gladio Lady of Light. Uh, that, is, that is a solid pick for really any good list. And you do have tons of uh, three high attack heroes and everyone has strikes, so you are going to win the hero warp more than likely. Breaking your army bonus here isn't that big of a deal because uh, you have a lot of pikemen and knights to re-roll from Immerhill. I think I would just put all the clansmen to Angbor's warband since only they can treat Angbor as a banner. And then also um, only the clansmen would be fearless. Yeah. I was so maybe put them all together that. in case of like Maelstrom. Right before we started recording, I looked at it again and I was like, maybe. But I think the reason I did that is because of Maelstrom because I wanted something that's high courage in Emerald's warband. Yeah. And if it gets isolated, then it has a front line that can go in front of the pikes. I think that was the thinking. The last thing that worries me is that None of your Blackroot Veil Archers have spears. Since you don't have the army bonus, they can't reroll from Immerhell. So they're kind of like, either they're going to be like, you're going to put them like 12 inches from all combat because you don't want them to just drop like flies or or they're just going to be sent in and, you know, not have the banner. I don't know. Hell it's it's they, a little they bit awkward. Swords, they're going. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, this definitely could use a lot more fine tuning for sure. Yeah. First draft. Oh. <laughs> Man, I, f I feel like I, I might be a little bit too hard today, but I, I'm going to give this a fortitude, too. <laughs> just just because of the... What? Yeah, the, 
The Black Veil vale Archers not <laughs> having spears or the banner is just to me that's like nine models with like a like a severe weakness. But yeah, I'll I'll let uh, Max take over. I'll be a little more. Uh, I think it's going to be a low valor for me, uh, just because like I never want to come to sit coming out of the table see Galadriel, Lady of Light, and Imrahil, and Angbor, and Legolas. That's just they're pretty all star, and I see why you got the the nine Black Root Veil without the spear. I mean, it would be nice if you had the points, but I mean, re- really, they're they're solid archers. Like hitting R three plus, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, so I'll, probably, I'll go with a low valor just because it is an impressive collection of heroes, and then a good amount of model of good models to support them in. I think if Ian is willing to break his rule of only even count models and drop one archer and give the rest spears, I would consider bumping this up to valor. It's, it's that big of a deal. <laughs> Could do. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, did. It's a spread of cloth. You just drop one archer, and then you'd have eight archers with spear. It is it is a little low on the spear support, yeah, looking at it. I only have 11 models that can support in the list, which is kind of low. So, yeah, that's fair enough. I feel like normally when you throw a warband of elves into a warband of anything else, into an army of anything else, you're usually going for spear supports and bows in order to get the supporting fight five rather than the fight five up front. But I do understand that fiefdoms, you're kind of forced to put the fight five up front just because one of your main units is the men-at-arms with their pikes. So you're not really going to put the spears behind the pikes. Can't say anything other than I love the uh, the hero selection. I see those four heroes on the table at once. I'm immediately not wanting to have to play against that list. I'm very much with Charles, though, on the, uh, the Blackroot Veil Archers not having spears. Just because you could drop one and give all the rest spears. And I think that's more than a fair trade-off. That's the one thing that really glares at me. It's just the number of low-defense men that you can't put into supporting roles. Of course, there's low-defense generally across the board with fiefdoms, the troops. But you do have Galadriel for a blinding light bubble. Now, I had to demote my ranking up with Max's list so I'm going to have to go uniformity on this one and say it's a, a high fortitude. Now, the heroes can be a game breaker, though. That's one thing. Is I've seen the number of times a list like this, especially for some reason, whenever it's Ian. Whenever it's Ian and you put four heroes like that together on a list, they end up being totally game breaking. <laughs> so, you know, I know that's going to be really good. And Immerhill, Legless on Horse... I mean, you've got the Galadriel model that can throw hands at somebody. This actually, like, the, the Galadriel-Imriel combo was, like, the first time I ever really, I think, I used the, the Lady of Light profile in a list. <laughs> and then I was just like, oh, wow, she's really good at buffing heroes. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and she just goes around, like, punching things. It's phenomenal. She's like, I'm sorry, but you brought a sword to a fist fight, and then she'll just punch you in the face. I like the list. I like the troop variation. I like the balance of knights that you put in. Uh, strong fortitude, maybe low valor because of the, the game-breaking heroes there. All right, Charles, you need to rise above us and get a better score. <laughs> I'm surprised we have such an amazing hero, the first 10 out of 10, and then all the lists are fortitude. <laughs> like, we had Faramir, and I think everybody got, like, legend. <laughs> what is happening? I'm so confused. <laughs> well, we'll have to ask Richard after this episode. 
Maybe, maybe we'll get his uh, rankings on all the lists and put it on the Facebook post or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I have the final list of today. It's a 1,000-point historical alliance between the fiefdoms and Minas Tirith. So my leader is Imrahil on an armored horse with lance. In his warband are three knights of Dolamroth with lance, six men-at-arms of Dolamroth, six axemen of Lostrenak, and three Blackroot Vale archers with spear. In second warband, I have Angbor, the Fearless, with nine clansmen of Lamedon, four Blackroot Vale archers with spear. And then from Minas Tirith, I have Bormir, Captain of the White Tower, with the banner of Minas Tirith, horse and shield. He's leading two knights of Minas Tirith with shield, three warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, two warriors of Minas Tirith with spear and shield, and three rangers of Gondor with spear. And then the final warband is Her in the Tall on horse, leading two knights of Minas Tirith with shield, three warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, and two warriors of Minas Tirith with spear and shield. So that comes out to 1,000 points, 52 models, 14 might, and 10 bows. So this idea I've seen few people since the new edition talk about, which is bringing the banner of Minas Tirith into the fiefdoms list to take advantage of the Gondor keyword synergy. But I haven't actually seen this at a tournament. I'm sure it's been done, but uh, just personally never faced it or used it. So giving it a shot here, we have Boromir bringing a six inch banner that gives every model in this list a plus one fight, because I think every model in this list has the Gondor keyword. So you have the knights that go up to fight five, and if they're also within three inches of Immerhill, they become fight six. And then you have all your clansmen and axemen becoming fight five. And that is the reason why I didn't take any elites in Minas Tirith, no Fountain Court and no Citadel Guard, just because I have a lot of fight five and a little bit of fight six in the fiefdoms uh, area. I took 10 bows. All 10 of them are defense four, so that's why I only took 10. I didn't want to maximize that. I want the core of this army to be defense six and seven with the Minas Tirith shield wall. And then um, I just like Knights of Minas Tirith, so I took four of them. Hurin is there to protect Immerhill, so you won't be able to score VPs on Immerhill if Hurin is still alive. That kind of makes Immerhill a little more tanky and you can throw him in a little more. Yeah, overall, this one is just bring in the 10 Warriors of Minas Tirith with shield, which is really cheap, high defense infantry in the front. Support them with men-at-arms and axemen, and then just just kind of smash into the enemy line and use my three heroes to deal damage. You know, Bormir with a six might, he's he can do a lot with a six might. Yeah, yeah, all four of my heroes can strike. Similar to Yin, you know, four striking heroes that hopefully can deal most of the damage. Yeah, I agree with that. What is this, the Shia LaBeouf meme? That was, I can't do anything but clap. I mean, it was really hard for me to read that list through the tears. Like, I was, like, sobbing behind the microphone reading that. (laughs) Uh, This list is devastating, okay? I don't have another way to describe it. I, at first, I just, I looked at the heroes, and I was like, okay, this is a devastating list in terms of the four heroes got Immerhill, so obviously we've gone over him just like ad nauseum so far. Angbor, we've now all talked about just how good Angbor can be when he's leading his swordsman. Boromir, and I thought, okay, this is really expensive, so there's no way you're giving him the banner. Oh my, he's giving him the banner, and the horse, <laughs> and the shield. Okay, 
This list cannot... Okay, there is no way you can make this list harder to get rid of the heroes than putting those two together. And then I saw Hurin, and I just started crying. Like, I couldn't even see the list anymore. They were just... I was, I was just tearing up because there's just... Now, even if I get rid of Imrahil while holding off Boromir, while both of them are mounted, it doesn't even matter. You've got Hurin on a horse. Like... This army has like no flaws. It has no no. It has no flaws. I'm I I have to agree. I'm sitting like as you're reading this list, I'm thinking, geez, I want to play this. Oh, I want to play this as my own list. Oh my gosh, a uh, thousand points and it, like you you can obviously include a lot. Definitely, you're getting your points worth at a thousand points. But like Alex said, you got the two major hitters of men of Gondor, Imrahil and Boromir, and then. Hearn himself is no slouch, so even if you kill both of them and Hearn's in your backline, just holding on to the, the kill the leader victory points, that is a, that's a third hard nut to crack. I mean, this is one of those things where this list is just so good at grabbing the objectives, at beating down your opponent, at denying your opponent victory points. This is, albeit a thousand points isn't a value that I think here we see a lot of tournaments at a thousand points, but for a thousand point tournament, this has got to be the favorite. You've got Fight Six Knights. Fight Six Knights! I'm, I'm going to stop singing your praises, because I, I can probably just keep going in a loop for the next, like, ten minutes, and I really shouldn't. Legend! I actually didn't realize that the banner of Gondor is a six-inch plus one to the fight value. I thought it was only three. And so whenever it was told about, I was like, ah, oh, you're only getting, like, two, maybe three other models up to Fight Six. And it's, nope, you are getting anyone that Imrahil gets. You're getting a full charge of knights, of Doamoth knights up to Fight Six, which is... Just, um, I, I'm giving this a legend. This is this is good. So, <laughs> it, it is really good, but I, I think the reason why it looks so amazing is because you, you have enough points to get everything that you want. But yeah, I, like, I've never tried that combo either, but it has been something that's been floating through my mind, I think, at least, well, probably most people's minds right now. Just that, like, the fight six troops, like, since this edition started out, it is a very intriguing proposition, but I do like also like the just the sheer amount of might. Even at a thousand points, like fourteen is good because of Boromir, and you cover a lot of bases too, right? Like you got, you got a decent amount of bows. Like ten bows is good. They all hit on threes. That's that's good. You have the Emerald banner, which is going to affect all of the fiefdom stuff. So there's that. Angbor can give a banner to clansmen. Boromir's got an actual banner, so like. You're good for VPs in that kind of a sense, because it's going to be hard for him to go down. He's He's got Fight 7 right now. Oh, yeah, the Fight 7 hero, too. And, yeah, yeah, you don't have the march, but what, you've got 10 mounted models? Yeah, 10 mounted models. So, like, who cares? Doesn't matter. You can get where you need to be with the important models. <sighs> wow. Do you think that this list could, like, the Emerald-Bormir combo could be done at 800? No, I don't think so, because... You need Bormir and Imrahil, obviously, so that's already about 300. And then you need you need some Mountain Knights, probably, unless you you just want the Fight 6 Pike Block, which is good as well. But you will need a third hero at 800 points, yeah. because Bormir can only lead 15. Yeah. It, it'd so, be very hard to do, I think. Imrahil and Bormir together are... I think, I think you probably meant 400? Yeah, yeah, sorry, that I misspoke. What? Well, ooh. What if you tried to do like just the two of them together at like seven? That uh, might work. Possibly, I guess. You'd have yeah. a lot of. Like, it would be possible. Be... It, it would be a little bit hard to write, but yeah. It'd be hard because you'd have the two big here. But seven hundred, I think you could make that work. Interesting. 
Um, anyway, I was going to say Valor, but you are taking, like, a lot of the boxes. Like, 52 models is good for 1,000 points. Like, that's fine. You don't... Like, a lot of people, you're not going to go, like, much higher than that for most people anyway, just because, like, you want to get all your cool toys, which you have two really cool, awesome heroes on the list. You have an actual banner, which is good. You have banner effects everywhere, which is awesome. You have, like, three of your heroes have some way to get plus one to wound. The other one has fight seven. <laughs> good numbers, good movement, decent bows. Yeah, I like, I, I was going to say Valor, but it might be a legend. Yeah. I think the big thing here is this list is really only possible the way it looks right now at a thousand points. At a thousand points, it's kind of like I think what Richard brought during the Faramir episode. It looks kind of similar mm-hmm. in terms of being able to tick all the boxes, having that many different threats. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not really applicable yeah. at a lower points value. It's hard to get I the numbers it, where you want it. I think at a thousand, yeah, because I think at a thousand points, it's we're in that threshold where what happens isn't that you see a large increase in the number of average troops, you just see an increase in the quality of the heroes. So you probably get the same number of models or a similar number of models at 100 points, but you wouldn't be getting the same heroes, and that's where I think the list really changes. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're just talking about this as an isolated. This is the list. It's not you're trying to play this list at 800 points. You're playing this list at 1,000 points. And at 1,000 points, this is just about as scary as it gets. The one thing that's holding me back, like, a little bit is because I know this looks amazing and it really does look awesome. But the thing is, is, like, I don't write, I, I don't write and I don't see a lot of 1,000-point lists. I know, Charles, you've seen a lot more because you've gone to a few 1,000-point tournaments, like, in the last year or so. So it's... I'm seeing, like, everything that I want to see in a list, but also I think a lot of other lists will have everything you want to see in the list, too. So at this points level, that's the only thing that's holding me back a little bit from saying it's a legend, but I still think I still think it is a legend, because it is really good, and it has a lot of hitting power, too. That's the other thing. is like, you have the decent defensive line, but then everything's going to hit really hard, which is not typical for a list that has a lot of Ministerial stuff in it. So you're saying that at 1,000 points, you would expect more from different armies to be able to tick all the boxes and do this sort of thing, which I do agree with. Yeah. But I think the synergies between her and, and Boromir and Imrahil really, even then, I think, could separate it from a 1,000-point lists. I can understand why you're saying at a 1,000 points it's easier to get a list like this, but I think it's also just kind of how Charles has built the army to work off each other at that 1,000 points. Because I can write a list at a thousand points with all of my biggest, shiniest heroes in the list, but it doesn't mean that they're going to work off each other the way these heroes in this list does. Plus, I have the only actual banner of today, I think. <laughs> Basically, no matter where you go on the board, all of your models are going to be rolling two dice. Because you're always going to have a banner effect pretty much on, the, on your whole battle line, which is huge. So that's, that's like a big force multiplier, right? It's not just like this little six-inch bubble in the middle of a normal banner. You've got Emeril's 12-inch one to either side. Then you've got Boromir's, which is 6-inch to either side. That's another 12 inches total. And then Angbors can do the same kind of thing, right? So you, you can cover an entire 4x4 four four board line with banner effects if you need to, which is insane. I think at 1,000 points, you're more likely to see uh, multiple casters. So that could be potentially an issue if it's a list with like multiple Barrow Whites or like Double Wizard or something like that. 
most of them have a good amount of will. Only Hearn has one will. The rest of them have three wills. So it's not a huge issue if I could get some luck with those resist rolls. Yeah, like the, the multiple threat thing, like the redundancy. So I think it would take a lot of casters. Like, Yeah. Maybe like an Angmar at 1,000 could be scary. Yeah, that would be scary. Yeah, yeah. But, but then, then, yeah, the multiple still buffing your troops help. like crazy. So. Yeah, because Bormir, he uh, he grants those buffs as long as he's not prone, right? So like even if he's transfixed or whatever, they're still getting the plus one fight. This is actually a situation where I might consider using Resolve on Immerhill because you have other combat heroes that you can send in, and Immerhill kind of has to... At certain moments of the game, you might want to leave him a little bit back so he can stay within range of the pikemen to give them fight six. So in that case, there might be like a situation where you would be okay not fighting with him for a turn. So it obviously depends on your opponent and the layout of the battle line. But you don't want to just, risk him a lot too because he is your leader. I mean, you still have Kieran, but yeah, that's that yeah. a good point. I mean, wait, doesn't Kieran have resolve too? I think he does. He does. He's got Resolve, Strike, and Strength. So actually, that is a good shout. I think maybe maybe you do it with him instead. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, okay, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Could be useful, yeah. Yeah, especially when we just talked about it's the Even though hero, we, heroic actions. <laughs> we just trash-talked it. But, like, you, have, you don't need him to be in there, right? It might actually be more useful, like you're saying, to have him back just to give Emeril and Bormir an extra dice. Yeah. Yeah. And then if Imrahil goes down, then Huron's in the back line anywhere you want him safe if, that's, if that situation occurs, right? Yeah. You've also got a lot of mounted mites, so you can hopefully tag, uh, get get the move off, tag the caster, and then it's not even a, a worry. Yeah, yeah. Depending on uh, where the casters are positioned, because um, I mean, higher level players might just put them out of reach completely, but... Yeah, they, I mean, the, if they're smart, they'd keep the line between them and you right up, cast something, and then move back. Because the amount of hitting power you have, you could quite easily carve a little gap into a line in a turn. You know, get, like, erase eight models with Amrhill and Bormir in one turn, and then that's, that's a big gap in a line, yeah. right? Okay, that was a good discussion on Amrhill today. Let's move on to our next segment, which is the open topic, Banners and Banner Effects. So in today's open topic, we'll be discussing banners and banner effects. And this kind of ties in with our feature profile for today. As we discussed, Prince Emerhill has a 12-inch banner effect for his army. We talked a little bit about it during the army lists, but how important is it for you guys uh, when you write a list to include some form of banner or banner effect to your army? I mean, it must if you're playing any army that is primarily fight four, fight five based, I think it's a must because having higher fight value really comes into play. I think what the math works out is if you're rolling three dice with higher fight value, it's a really big difference in terms of who's going to win the fight compared to two dice with higher fight value. So if you're doing high fight armies, which tends to be a lot of good armies, then I think it's essential. I often take a lot more banner effects than I end up taking banners themselves. Just that's the type of armies I like. Uh, Amder is is my other go-to after Imrahil. And then the, the Signal Tower has actually been made a banner for Azog's Legion, but it wasn't explicitly a banner before. It was just a board-wide effect. That said, if I do find myself playing like Isengard or Mordor, there's always a banner in there. It's just uh, 
you need the rerolls when you need the rerolls, and the, the 25 point tax for it is not something to stop you. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember, but from previous editions, banners cost differently for each faction depending on their fight value. Because I, I remember like Pepperidge Farm or, orcs was like 25 points, and then like Urukai and Doors were 30, and then Elves were 35 or something. And I think they just simplified it more recently, but that was there to kind of scale like the basically how much a banner would benefit uh, a certain fight value. I, I think that got the the standardization, well, just for simplicity, but also I think part of that might be just because you do get VPs in what three scenarios now, or is it four? Three, three scenarios. So for having a banner alive at the end of the game, yeah, three scenarios. So yeah, that's. You know, a solid 16, 17% of the scenarios you're going to play. So that's the other thing, is, is the big difference between banners and banner effects. So it'll say in the profile, it'll either say counts as a banner, or it'll say it is, I think is, is the difference. So what you're looking for is it's saying that it actually, like, it is, not counts as, because if it counts as, it's not worth anything for VPs. So, for example, Immerhills doesn't count. Angbors doesn't count. But, like, Suladan's effect does count, because he does have a big old banner on his back. For me, the point that it grants isn't often as important as the effect itself, and especially if I'm playing fiefdoms. A banner is usually going to be one of my first targets for the Blackroot Veil Archers, because if I can't have the point, they can't have it either. Well, that's the thing, is, like, banners that are on, like, foot models, I feel are relatively easy to protect if you're an experienced player. Because then you know, okay, I'm going to tag this model with, like, two to three guys every turn. So they're going to have to kill a lot of guys to get to get rid of this banner, because otherwise I'll just pass it off, pass it off, pass it off, right? Now, it, you do have slip-ups where you make mistakes, you know, and if people are smart, they'll punish you for that, right? Like, best example I can think of is I forgot to tag a guy on a Numenorean banner in a tournament early on in this edition, and my opponent just, boom, black dart, dead, gone. But... If you are smart and you're thinking about it, I think they are pretty reliable to keep alive, even though they're usually on a one-wound model. Well, I'll say that it's not always easy to protect a banner because you might not be thinking of it at all times. So, like, you might not be thinking that, oh, your opponent has a has a compel and potentially he can compel him out of base contact and then, and then like, flame burst him or whatever. Or um, your opponent has a deadly shot that can snipe him. Like, sometimes people forget, and I know that at tournaments, even experienced players sometimes would forget. Personally, I think there's just some rules that I go by. So if the warrior carrying the banner can take a shield, you always take a shield. So he's, like, a little bit harder to stop. Also, because he's um, he's fighting at a minus one, he'll be able to shield in combat, and there's a higher chance of him winning that fight. And then always, pretty much always give the banner a spear if it's available, so that you can use kind of your muscle memory and use them to support and get the base contact so you don't forget. And giving them a spear helps you, uh, helps remind you a little bit. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying, like, with the experience. Like, I know when I first started using, like, the banners and stuff, and, like, I didn't really think about it that time. And, yeah, you, they die a lot more. But, like, as I've gotten more experience in the game, it's become easier and easier to protect. So, yeah, fair enough. I, I do... Actually, I've never thought about that with the spear being a reason to make you remember to put it in the base contact with somebody, but I do like that. That is smart. I think the other big thing about it is just if you have priority, just make sure you fight a combat near the banner. If it is in combat, make sure you fight another one first so that even though that model has fought that turn, it's not fighting currently. So if the banner bearer dies, that guy can pick it up. Otherwise, if you fight the banner in combat first 
and it backs away and dies, and it's not touching anybody that's not in combat, it just, you lose the banner. Also, I just remembered, there was that FAQ a little while ago that said that if you're holding a banner and you fail a courage test, you can pass off the banner to another model. I never played it like that before that FAQ. I was kind of surprised that's the way it went down, but that is interesting. And yeah, that's a hilarious look. addition. It's like, oh, I'm not brave enough to carry our army's banner. You look pretty good. That's <laughs> yeah, like, here you go, Jim. I'm leaving. Like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't play like that before, but it's good to know. I mean, I, I guess it's the guy beside him being like, oh no, I can't let the, our glorious banner yeah. be trampled. Hold it. But it, it is a little silly still in my mind. So I know we've talked about like a little bit about magic and just um, a banner dying in combat because it got charged by another model. But um, what kind of threats have you guys experienced where your opponent has taken out a banner? I know last week we recorded the Watcher in the Water episode, so <laughs> we know that like tentacles and black shield shamans shatter can take out a banner, and there's like almost nothing you can do to stop it, especially if it's a warrior carrying the banner with no resistance. That just uh, it leaves them very vulnerable. Or if you've managed to drain a major hero, because most even big heroes often only have three will points. So if you manage to drain them, and then it's like Boromir with the banner of Minas Tirith, and then you just shatter the banner of Minas Tirith, and that's a 40-point piece of war gear just gone. Legless with Deadly Shot. Just the number of times that the standard banner has gone down to that. The Deadly Shot, it's a little bit easier to see, because you could just put your model base-to-base with another model. I'm kind of thinking of situations where doing that doesn't save the banner. There's this standard kind of defensive kind of stance you want to take with certain... This isn't... Like, it applies to banners, but also just, like, key important heroes like Kirdan, stuff that's vulnerable in combat. So if you have your banner, say, behind a line of infantry, and you have a really big, scary enemy hero bearing down on them, you want to make sure you put three infantry in between that key piece and that big enemy hero, because they are very likely to do heroic combat and kill those two ranks, right? So if they do that, and then they're just staring at your precious model or your banner bear. So it's important if you see that kind of a situation developing that you put an extra model in the way so that the next turn, if they do do that hurl combat, they're going to be caught up on that infantry model and you can run your guy away. As for threats I've faced, uh, I've had a lot of conventional banners. I've had two conventional banners shattered by the Gundabad Shaman. Uh, more frequently, uh, I've had people like do a quick compel or a, or a command and then shoot it or hit it with a black dart. Uh, that's happened. And then uniquely, I've also had bats. Just because you, know, you think your, your banner might be safe, uh, then they manage to tag off the other guy, and they have priority, so they kill the other guy first, and then the bat gets your banner. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. I think it's also important to note that dead banner bearer can only pass to a model that's not prone. So you, you have to be careful of like, um, like a hurl or something, or like a sorceress blast that can knock other models over, and then maybe the banner bearer will, would just die and not have anyone to pass off to because all the models touching him are prone. You also have to be careful about model placement just on off of what you're just saying, Charles, because I think there's that game we played a few weeks ago where you had your Urkai banner, and he was touching another model, but what happened was is I knocked him back into the only other infantry model that was just like a normal warrior and a hero. So he was still touching two models, but the only model that he could potentially pass it off to was a hero who was standing. Obviously, like that's it, that's not a situation that's going to happen a lot, but it is something to keep in mind. Like you don't want to like think you're safe and then go realize once your banner is dead, oh damn, that's a hero. The hero can't pick up that banner. 
you know, that kind of a thing. That I've definitely done that before myself, thinking I'm safe, and then, ah, shoot, there goes my banner. Okay. Gandalf's um, cart, shooting fireworks, that could do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gandalf's cart, similar to the tentacles. Maybe like a barge, too. Like a, a model barging enemies aside to get to your banner. Ooh, that's a good shout. Also, kind of on the magic thing, like specters and um, sentinels, just pulling them away if they fail a courage test. That's more of like a... I think that's usually like an isolation tactic. Like, people usually do that and then they'll shoot it out or charge it with a hero to kill it, but that's important to keep in mind. I don't know, maybe ring bearers, too. Like, I've never really done it myself or seen it done before, but it's definitely a potential thing. Like, even if you just <laughs> sneak Bilbo through the lines and he just shanks the guy in the back or... I think Imrahel is more, not Imrahel, uh, Isildur would be more prone to doing that kind of a thing if you wanted to, but... Well, wouldn't you be able to pass the banner on in that case? Well, what I'm thinking is, like, if you get the engage on their line, right? And then, because so you have priority, you get the engage on their line, everybody around them is already fighting, and then you choose that Bilbo or Gollum to do that fight first, and then they just stab the banner before all the other fights go down. So then they can't pass it off to anybody. But, I mean, like, it's situational, but I could definitely see it happening, you know? I don't know. I think that's a really devastating tactic, getting a wild, singular, invisible Frodo to go and get rid of the banner for you. That's a, a real threat right there. You never know when invisible Frodo can come out of nowhere and just get rid of your opponent's uh, banner. He could be next to you right now. You wouldn't even know. Spooky boy. So the next topic when it comes to banners is the value and its cost effectiveness. So we know that generally if the banner or the banner effect is on a hero, it's, it's a very good value, right? Like Suladan, six-inch banner, probably worth upwards of 40 to 50 points. And he's like barely 100 points. Like he's always worth it when you want to ally in a banner. But when it comes to just rank-and-file troops, your warriors that you have to pay 25 points for, are there like any situations where it wouldn't be worth it? Or would there be any situations where you would take more than one? Because I know there's a player in Australia, I've talked to him a little bit, and he swears by two banners. He always takes multiple banners in his army, or or he likes to um, take multiple banners in his army. For me, when it comes to banners and just standard troops, I always just go for the cheapest troop in my army. So I'm, I'm going to pick an orc warrior with a banner as opposed to Blackguard of Baradur with a banner. I've definitely thought about multiple banners, but at the same time, when you play an evil army, especially with uh, low-point standard troops like Orc Warriors, tough sometimes to justify the second banner just because that 25 points can get you either three to four extra troops, it can get you upgrades from one set of troop to the next, it can do a lot of things. I really think it depends on the army that you're playing. Then, of course, there's my personal, well, my favorite, second favorite, somewhere in there, King's Champion. Obviously, you're paying for a very meaty, heavy-hitting combat hero. Then you also get two heralds. So they each have a banner, which is absolutely critical in Kazadoom because you don't have any spear support. In Kazadoom, it's definitely important to have that reroll because giving them like one more dice in a dual roll essentially is like giving them a spear support. It's not exactly the same, but... It gives them like a effect of having a battle line. But I think honestly, maybe the most cost effective banner in the game, it's probably Suladan. Because his profile alone is 100 points. It includes a six inch banner. It's a banner that's probably worth, I'd say, 35 to 40 points total. 
and it's included in a 100-point profile. Plus, it's not just a banner effect. It actually is a physical piece of war gear. In the couple of scenarios that you actually get points for having a physical banner, he gives you that, and he's difficult to kill. As for your original question, Charles, with the would you ever consider buying more than one banner in, in an army? Personally, I don't think I would. The only exception being like the King's Champion, but then that just comes with two anyway. But I definitely love looking into things like having a normal banner and then bringing in other banner effects, I think is really good. Because then you kind of get a bit of the redundancy in the effect. So you get like a wider area with the effect, but then you also still can get those victory points, which I think are pretty sure. Like if you're going to build a competitive list, I think you always want to have an actual banner in it. Just because going into games automatically at a 2VP deficit is big, right? You're immediately fighting an uphill battle. So that that's big, and that, that, that's really annoying. I know you used to play, like, pure Rivendell or, like, pure Mirkwood list, where you just have, like, a long battle line of Fight 5, and you've, you've obviously shared that it's really important for elves, for the Fight 5 troops to get the reroll. So, like, I haven't seen you take two regular banners in those kind of lists. In that kind of situation, I think it would have to be, like, 800 points and above. Just because with elves, you've got expensive troops and expensive heroes, and numbers are always an issue. So it kind of comes down to once you have the one banner and you have that kind of VP slot covered and you can put it where you need it behind your big heroes, you're kind of looking at it and going, well, I just kind of need these extra numbers or I need these extra points so I can upgrade a few of these regular troops to cap so I have more movement in my list, right? I definitely would consider it maybe yeah, like above that kind of a points limit. As for when I wouldn't take a banner, it'd probably be, like, at lower points values, it's kind of like at the extremes, right? Like, at 400, 500 points, having a banner is really nice, and I think it can give you a really big advantage. But if you're playing, like, an elite list and you only have, say, 22 models at 500 points, I think you'd rather just jump up to the 24, 25 model mark than the banner, just because it's it's so critical. Because at that points level, just using losing a couple models can make a big difference, right? Yeah, and I guess if you're playing like a low fight horde army as well, like at low points, I don't know if you would want a banner either. Like if you're like a fight three, fight two army, this is not as valuable. Maybe you just rather take uh, more models and go for the traps. I think that uh, the other thing we haven't touched on is cavalry heavy or all mounted lists. I think you definitely need uh, some sort of banner in there just because the main weakness for cavalry is if you don't have priority and you get charged, the cavalry model is on a huge base, and they only get one attack, and they could easily be swarmed. At least if you have a banner, it gives them two dice, and yeah. it saves you from losing an expensive model. Well, it's like you said, it's a big base, and it doesn't even matter if they have a shield. They can't use the shielding special roll mounted, which is big, right? Like that, that affects your survivability a lot, so I agree. If you're going to have a lot of cav, having banner effects is nice just to help you win more fights on the charge and stuff, but it's so important for when you lose that priority, like you were saying. I have heard this other point of view where the argument was that the cavalry bases were bigger, so like the banner wouldn't be able to affect as many models. But I think cavalry models need it even more. So I think it's always worth it for a cavalry-heavy list. Yeah, like it's not uncommon when a cavalry line is countercharged for every model to be fighting, you know, four models because it's two models with two spear supports, right? So one dice to four. It doesn't matter if you have the higher fight value. You're gonna, your guys are gonna go down, right? Even if you have the high defense, if they're smart, they'll just they'll kill the horse if they want to, and then you just have really expensive infantry. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's what makes Doe Amroth cavalry a little bit more survivable, because you're usually running them with Immerhill, so they're normally getting the two dice even when counter-charged. On the topic of value, 
you are getting your value when you're paying 25 points for a, a banner. I'm with Alex. I normally stick it on a, especially if I'm playing a evil army, I stick it on one of the cheapest dwarf. Maybe you give him a shield still, but usually bunch up around him so that there's enough people to pick it up if he falls. Unless you're really strapped for points, you normally try to get the banner in there. One of the few armies I've ran that doesn't have a banner or a banner effect was Nazgul of Dol Guldur. But that's a very low model count hero army where you don't even necessarily mind if you lose the fight. Certain armies at lower points, is it really worth bringing a banner? And I think that's really comes down to just personal preference. Because mentally, when I put together a 500 point list, even just with orcs, I always feel that I want, as an evil player, I want to roll as many dice as I possibly can to combat. So if I have an orc and a support, I'm rolling two dice. If I can add a third, even though the greatest statistical increase is from one die to two dice, I want that third die if I can get it. 25 points feel sometimes like it means less at 500 points than it does at 800 points, if that makes any sense at all. If you're following me, it's just because I feel like 25 points, there's more options of what to do with it when I get up to the higher points levels. I don't think with the armies that I play, there's really a situation where I wouldn't take a banner. Maybe if it was down to like a 400-point game, I might skip on the banner. But I think anything 500 points or higher, I'm probably taking a banner in the list somewhere. Pretty much like it, it falls right into the center of my list building kind of criteria. There has to be a banner at One other thing I want to touch upon is how a banner is used with heroes. We all have experienced like combats where a hero would flop a roll, right? So, so sometimes I'm tempted to take a second banner just because like there's like more than one place where I would want the reroll in an army. And then there's like certain situations where the banner makes your character like super amazing. They have like Lord of the West that allows you to stack it with a banner. That breaking of the Fellowship, New Legendary Legion, that rule where um, they all count as banner of each other. That's actually a big boost because every single hero in that list gets an extra dice in combat, provided that they are close to each other. It makes them a lot better at fighting, even though it only seems like one dice each model. Oh, it's huge. It basically, it's probably one of the main things that's going to make that Fellowship Legion playable, I think. Like, the other rules are cool and they're handy, but like that's the one that's going to come up in every game, and it's always going to be like a really big boost. Yeah, that one was just huge. I mean, but this is like a list of just having eight banners. And that's amazing. I love it. I just love it so much. That should be a fun one. It's not often that you can have everyone in range of a banner and not have to like line it up in any way, shape, or form. So I have a question for you guys, if we're ready to move on. Do you guys feel that given that special like hero banners, so like Suladan's one is better than normal one just because it's a larger range, right? Boromir's one is better because it gives you like the fight value bonus. Halberad's is pretty cool because it gives you courage buffs. So those are all, they're always like usually better than a normal banner, but they have one weakness and that's that when that hero dies, the banner's just gone. Whereas with a normal banner, even though it's smaller and it's way less impressive, you can pass it off. Do you guys think the hero banners are always better, 100%? Or do you think there's a little bit more like understated merit to being able to pass it off? The standard banner obviously is not as risky just because it always costs less than any of the character's special banners. It can be passed off, so you're not so worried about, oh, well, if I lose this 
big hero, I also lose a 40, 50 point special piece of war gear. There's merit to the idea that a standard banner strategically has its place and that you're lowering your risk of what you're going to lose with it when it goes. But at the same time, the special rules included in a lot of these banners that are held by heroes like Boromir, I think it's a risk you're usually willing to take just because they're held by heroes that don't die easily. I think they're usually worth it beyond the standard banner. I I think they're all worth it. I want to talk about Halberd. <laughs> that is an awesome banner. I was looking at it like a a couple months ago. Like that is an awesome like six inch banner effect and fearless, hundred and ten points. Halberd definitely. I mean, like Halberd. Assuming you're playing like Great Company, which you need it because it's an all hero, all foot army. You definitely need that six inch banner. I was trying to think of a list to ally him in and write him in, and I couldn't come up with a decent one. And I it's hard. It's hard because he's thing. a hero fortitude. Yeah, so you have to include Aerothorn too. For what is that? That's just under two hundred points. You're getting you're adding six points of might and two heroes who can strike. One of them's three attacks. So like I don't know. This is I'm just kinda of rambling a bit and this is just kinda of like list building. Like I wanna write a list with him in it, with those two in it, but I I can't think of one. And that's also partially because I have an Aerothorn model and I don't think I've ever used them. Yeah, I can see him doing well like Maybe not with Airthorn because Airthorn's on foot, but maybe like a higher points heavy cavalry list. You can take like Strider mounted and then Halbrand mounted, and that would give like a six inch bubble to cavalry. Ooh, maybe that'd be good with Rivendell Knights. That could that hit pretty be hard. Interesting. Yeah, but I never thought about the cavalry option. Interesting. Yeah. So I actually really like the Halbrand profile, but like you said, it's very hard to ally him. But yeah, generally I think just the durability of a hero, it's, it's a good trade off. Without ways being able to pass it off. Yeah. And it's usually just a larger range. Like, Imrahil and, like, Bard, for example, you can't really ask for, like, these 12-inch banners and then have, like, no drawback to them. You're covering just so much more ground than a, than a regular banner. I'm just going gonna, gonna to argue for the normal banners a little bit more. It's just that you're kind of spreading out your valuable things, if that makes sense. Because, like, the opponent is pretty much always going to be gunning for your heroes anyway. So if they're going to be gunning for your hero anyway, and then coincidentally they also have your banner, that's just going to mean they're become target priority number one, right? So, I mean, I guess you could use that to your advantage, but I feel like that is more of a disadvantage. I know we all talk about Suleyan, we love Suleyan, I love him, I think he's a great profile. But the other thing is, he's a hero of legend, and he's got the banner. This huge six-inch banner on his back. And he's not super hard to kill, because he's only defense five. So even though he's a great profile, I think if your opponent is smart, like, they're just going to target him. You're not really going to get to use that awesome profile, right? Like, I know, Charles, when you've run him and he's been your leader, you've a lot of times you've just sat him back behind your line just mm-hmm. using the banner effect itself. He does die when you send him in, so... Max, I know that from several of the times where I played you where you used Hill in a hammer and anvil sort of tactics where you want to charge in on the side or behind the enemy. And even though it's a 12-inch banner, it still doesn't always cover your whole army. So, like, I can kind of see where Ian's coming from where you're sending in your hero that's not maybe where you want the banner to be because you're also using him for combat and he's not in an ideal place where he's giving the models that you want rerolls. Oh well, yeah, agreed. Like if there were the points in a fiefdoms list, like in my list today, I probably could have gone for a, uh, a banner as well and not been too hard up for model count. And then yeah, Imrahil could serve that purpose where he's going off with the cavalry, giving them the rerolls. And then I still actually get the banner objective too. I do like the banner, and in lists that don't have a effect of a banner, I almost always take a banner. 
But sometimes in fiefdoms, it becomes a little bit too easy to ignore a banner when you have something like Yammer Hill. Okay, that has been our discussion on banners for today. Thank you all for listening, and look forward to the next episode of Into the West. <laughs> <laughs>